0: All right, brothers and sisters, let's take out our Bibles. Today we are in Ephesians chapter 2, and we will cover verses 11 through 22. Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, I'd encourage you to get out your own copy of Scripture or take one of those Bibles on the pew in front of you and look at this with us. Our main text, as always, will not be on the screen because we'll be referring back to this over and over again. I think it's most healthy for us to look at it in our own copy of Scripture. Ephesians 2 starting in verse 11 here in just a moment. Now, in the years of the Cold War, the Berlin Wall was more than just a wall that separated the city of Berlin. It symbolized the divide between Western democracy and Eastern communism, between freedom for the people and a government's desire to keep them under its thumb. One question that some have asked today is, are we seeing a second stirring up of this divide in our world today? Are we seeing a second stirring up of those ideals, that ideology, because of the events that are going on in our culture? As we sit here today, Russia has just invaded Ukraine under, it seems, all kinds of false pretenses, and much of the world watches and feels like this is much bigger than just two countries against one another. It's much bigger than just Russia and Ukraine. That's the feeling that we get. It's about more than that. It's about freedom. It's about tyranny. It seems as if events are happening, not just across the ocean, but here in our own country as well. It seems as if events are happening that are forcing the world to see all over again that there is such a thing as good and evil. In 1989, that wall came down, that Berlin Wall. And it symbolized the coming down of the wall, symbolized the end of the Cold War, and many thought the end of communism in Europe. Well, our text today talks of another wall that came down because of Jesus' death on the cross, It was not a physical wall, but a spiritual one. And as you can imagine, spiritual walls are much harder to take down than physical ones. But the consequences, once they come down, are also much greater. Let's see what I'm talking about here in our text. We're going to read Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 22. This is God's word through the Apostle Paul. Paul writes, Therefore, remember. being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now notice in our text that we just read verse 14. Verse 14 is where we get the title of the message today. At the end of verse 14 he says, Jesus in his flesh has broken down the dividing wall of hostility. Now what's he talking about there? Well specifically in context, He's talking about the wall of hostility that existed back then between two ethnic groups, Jews and Gentiles. That's the the immediate context of our text today. The wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles. In verse 11, he begins, and you can see this, verse 11, he says, Remember, you Gentiles, remember at one time you were separated from Christ." In verse 11, it says that they were called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. Remember your Old Testament. The the sign of the old covenant that God made with the Israelite people was circumcision. The sign of the covenant was circumcision. And so all males of the Israelites, beginning with Abraham on, started this tradition of circumcision. And then the Gentiles... We're not Jews. So every time we we say the word Gentile today, all we mean is it's not a Jew. It's it's a non-Jewish person, a non-Israelite. And so starting from Abraham on, God revealed himself in the Old Testament to the Israelites. They were his people, the Jews, his chosen people, the family of God. And circumcision was given as the sign of the covenant that he made specifically with these people to be their God and to take them to himself as his people. And so Gentiles were outside of that. Gentiles were not included in the family of God. God did not reveal himself to any other nation. It was Jews and Gentiles. That was how the world was separated when you thought in terms of God. Jews in, Gentiles out. And in verse 11... The Jews apparently looked down on many Gentiles and called them the uncircumcision. We have the sign of the covenant, you don't. Now we're not going to get into a bunch of details on circumcision today. If you'd like to have a nice little conversation about that on the way home with your kids perhaps, go right ahead. I'm going to to kind of move past that. But we're talking about the, the animosity between Jews and Gentiles. Jews could trace their lineage back to Abraham. They were God's chosen and favored people. Gentiles were the ungodly. They lived in sin and ignorance of God. Now imagine in the first century, after Jesus has died and resurrected and ascended to heaven, if you're a Gentile and you become a Christian, salvation is open to all when Jesus dies. You're a Gentile and you become a Christian. And you decide, okay, I'm, I'm going to follow Jesus. Jesus has washed away my sin. The Holy Spirit has come to live in my heart. I get baptized into his name. But then the question becomes, what's my faith community? Who's in my faith community? And there are a bunch of Jewish people already in this community. A bunch of people who were Jewish and now they've, they've come from being Jewish to the proper p- fulfillment of all the Jewish rites and rituals, which is believing in Christ. And so the question as a first century Gentile would be, am I welcome here? Am I welcome in this faith community? I I know I'm a Christian. I know Jesus has washed away my sin. But are these Jews going to welcome me in? That's the question. Am I going to feel like a second class citizen? Am I going to feel like an outsider? Now notice... Before Paul gets into how Christ reconciles Jews and Gentiles, he tells the Gentiles in verses 11 and 12, remember, remember where you were before Jesus saved you. Never forget that. And we've got to take that lesson upon ourselves too. We've got to hear this as a word to us. Never forget where you came from before Jesus saved you. Never forget what he saved you out of. Never forget what you were apart from Christ so that you will never stop appreciating what you are now because of Christ. All of this is predicated on what we learned last week, that we have all been saved by grace through faith. And it's not by our own works. None of us can boast about how we save ourselves. No, we're saved by the gift of God, his grace. And since we've been saved by grace through faith, not by works, never forget that you were once an enemy of God. Never forget that. God has brought you into his family when you used to be an enemy of him. And instead of destroying you, he saved you. Never forget the depths of sin and slavery that he brought you out of. Remind yourself that you were once destined for hell. If you are in Christ this morning, never stop reminding yourself that at one point in time, you are an enemy of God destined for hell. And when you do, it will prevent you from feeling any kind of superiority over others. You're not going to heaven because you're so good. You're going to heaven because of the grace of God. Never forget that. When we begin to forget that, we become anti-Christian. We become a people who's not preaching the gospel anymore. We're just preaching some man-made religion. Come here and and try really hard to be good like all of us who are already good and trying really hard. That's not the gospel. Never forget we were saved by grace out of a situation where we were enemies of God destined for hell. Now our text goes on to talk about, Paul goes on to talk about how Jesus through the cross has reconciled Jews and Gentiles. And this is what I call horizontal reconciliation. Horizontal reconciliation. You'll see in scripture both vertical reconciliation and horizontal reconciliation. So the story of the Bible tells us that sin separated mankind from God, right? Sin has separated mankind from God, but sin also separated us from one another. And so the cross, Jesus' death on the cross, not only reconciles us to God, but it reconciles us to one another. And so in Scripture, there's vertical reconciliation and horizontal reconciliation. Because of Christ, we can not only have peace with God, but we can have peace with one another. And specifically here, it says the cross has reconciled Jews and Gentiles to one another. Look at verses 14 and 15. Verses 14 and 15. He himself, Jesus, is our peace. Who has made us both, and this is us both Jew and Gentile, us both one. He's broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. How did he do it? Verse 15. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. Jesus abolished the ordinances of the Jewish religion when he came and died on the cross. And so, in the New Covenant now, as New Covenant Christians, we don't worship God like the Jews were commanded to worship in the Old Testament, right? We don't make animal sacrifices for our sins any longer. There are no more festivals like those laid out in the book of Leviticus. There's no more temples. There's no more Sabbath day. And there's no more special access for Jews. Jews do not have special access to God any longer that the rest of humanity does not have. Look at verse 18. In verse 18 it says, Through him, through Christ, we both, Jew and Gentile, have access in one spirit to the Father. And it's an even deeper and more personal access now than it was in the Old Covenant an even deeper access to God that we have now because Jesus has come and died on the cross. Because anytime someone becomes a Christian and is baptized into Christ, they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of them. Do you remember when Jesus died on the cross, what happened when he breathed his last? A bunch of things happened at the same time. One of them was the veil in the temple of Jerusalem that separated the place where the priests ministered From the place where God's presence dwelled, they called this the most holy place. There was a veil that separated that. And that veil was torn in two, miraculously, torn in two from top to bottom in that temple the moment Jesus breathed his last. It was like a dividing wall. And that wall separated God's presence from the people. Why? Because if you come into God's presence as a sinner, you die. That's how holy and pure and radiant and powerful he is. You die when you come into the presence of God as a sinner. But what happened on the cross? Jesus paid for sins. Jesus cleansed us of our sins by his blood. And so that dividing wall was ripped from top to bottom, signifying that now there was access to God for all. If you come to God through Jesus Christ, you can have access to the very presence of God that would have killed the priests in the Old Testament or anybody who would have made their way back behind that curtain. Jesus has given us access to God. Access that we couldn't have had any other way. you remember Jesus' conversation in John 4? A very famous conversation with that woman at the well in Samaria. It's a Samaritan woman. Jesus is at the well, and they start talking about water, right? Remember this conversation? Well, there's so many natural divisions that existed between Jesus and this woman. So many of them. He's a Jew. She's a Samaritan. She, she marvels at that at first. Why, why are you talking to me? Jews hated Samaritans. Jews and Samaritans didn't have anything to do with one another back then. And so she says, you're, you're a Jew, talking to me. Not only that, he's a man and she's a woman, and he's talking to her alone out there in the middle of the day. It could have gone wrong in all kinds of ways. Men didn't do that with women. A lot of times men didn't have direct conversations with any woman that wasn't his wife unless other people were there. And not only that, he's a Jew, she's a Samaritan, he's a man, she's a woman, but most fundamentally, he's the perfectly pure, holy son of God, And she has had five husbands and is living with a man she's not married to. And so there's all these divisions between Jesus and this woman. And yet Jesus, in a moment of extraordinary mercy and compassion and love, has this conversation with her about worship. And she turns to him and she asks, okay, so you're a Jew. You guys say we're supposed to worship at the temple. We say we're supposed to worship at this mountain. Where is it? How do we worship God? And Jesus says to her, a time is coming when you won't have to be on your mountain or in our temple to worship the Father. True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. From the heart. Doesn't matter who you are or where you are, anyone can come to God. You don't have to be in a geographical location. You don't have to be of a certain gender. You don't have to be of a certain ethnicity. Anyone can come to God. We all have access. And so there's this horizontal reconciliation, most specifically, I think, illustrated by that conversation with Jesus and the woman at the well. The gospel reconciles us, not just to God, but to other people, to one another. Now, here's what we got to do. We're reading this in 2022. So we got to look at that situation. We got to say, okay, I understand the Jew-Gentile divide. Now, how do I apply it to my life today? How does this text apply to us today? I don't know about you, but I don't have too many Jews looking down on me because I'm not a Jew. That's just not my world. I don't know about you, but I don't have too many conversations with people about how the fact that that there are some Jews and there are other non-Jews and it's a really big deal. That's not the situation we live in in 2022 in America. So as Bible students, we've got to develop the skill of looking at that situation and then bringing it into our modern-day culture. How does it apply today? Let me give you just a few ways. In the Bible times, it was categories like the ones in Galatians 3.28 that separated people. So Galatians 3.28 says this, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ. Those were the common divisions among that day that Christ reconciled. Jew, Greek, and Greek's another word there for Gentiles. Slave or free, male and female. These are important divisions that Jesus came to reconcile. What about today? What are our divisions that the cross reconciles us across today? One of them is racism. Racism. Now, you've got to say this up front in today's culture. Anytime you mention race today, people sprint. Sprint. To two opposite extremes. And I mean sprint there at the very mention of the word race. Either you mention race and there's people shouting, that's critical race theory. This is woke progressivism. This is the liberal leftist agenda because we're just mentioning it. That's one extreme. But the other one, the other extreme is you're all racists and you don't even know it. Your privilege and your ignorance mean that I can't have any kind of relationship or even a conversation with you. People sprint to those two extremes these days, anytime you talk about race. But long before anyone had coined the terms CRT or woke, Christians consistently came to this text in Ephesians 2 as the primary biblical passage showing that the gospel tears down the wall of racism. Long before we ever got into all the different debates and insecurities of our modern culture, this text right here was used for thousands of years up until today as the primary text in the Bible that the cross abolishes racism and tears down that wall. Listen to Revelation chapter 5 verse 9. It says, They sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Notice that last phrase there. Every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. If you've got a problem with people of other races, you are not going to enjoy heaven. Because it is for all. Red, yellow, black, or white, it doesn't matter. In Christ, that dividing wall of hostility between people of different races is broken down. And let me tell you, racism is not a new thing, brothers and sisters. It's been going on since the fall of Genesis 3. Since there started to be such a thing as race, And the the, the human race itself was divided into all kinds of different people. We all trace our lineage back to Adam and Eve. We all trace our lineage back to Noah and his family. And yet, this human nature inside of us causes us to look at other people that are different than us and think we are better than them. And the cross just cuts that at the root. The gospel cuts that out and says, no, we're, we're reconciling them all together. The body of Christ is a beautiful diverse collection of people from every tribe and every language and every nation. So if you think you're going to get up into heaven and you're going to complain that they're not speaking American, you've got another thing coming. It's going to be a beautiful collection of the whole world and we are not going to be the center of it all. But it's not just race. It's not just race. It's other things too. Now, before I move on, let me, let me give you just a couple illustrations that I think help in this. When we were in Lexington, as you can imagine a place like Lexington is very diverse, there's lots of people coming in from different places, uh, and we had a Swahili worship service at our church at 3 p.m. for Congolese refugees. There's, there's just kind of randomly a really big collection of Congolese refugees in Lexington, Kentucky. Right, so we had a, a service in the Swahili language, that's the language that they speak. And it was at 3 p.m. And they would invite some of the ministers at our church to come down and preach to them once a month. And so every now and then I got the chance to do that. And you'd preach in English, because that's all I know. And then they, they would have someone who knew English and Swahili translate into their language. But you'd be a part of that worship service. And it would honestly make you uncomfortable in some ways. They were speaking a language you didn't know. They were singing a langu- language you didn't know. You kind of just had to go on faith that everything that was being said was glorifying to God, right? Right? And, and their, their culture is very different as well. So their worship sounds way different than ours. All right? their, theirs is quite a bit more rhythmic. And when they start worshiping, they, they are a lot more expressive than we are. You know, We've got a kind of culture around here and in churches where I grew up where oh, you see somebody raising their hand, they're getting all charismatic. Uh, this church is like, let's blow it out of the water. Okay? They're dancing in the aisles to the glory of the Lord. Right? And they, they look over at me, and I've got my hands in my pocket. I'm, I'm going like this. And the pastor, who speaks a little bit English, says, you can dance. And I'm like, I am dancing. You know, it, it's, it's out of your comfort zone. But they're brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a beautiful thing. When we lived in Lexington, Jennifer and I, when we were in college, Jennifer got in really close with this group of girls who were on my floor in my dorm. This, this big group of girls were on the third floor of Ingalls Hall, University of Kentucky, and, and Jennifer and them just clicked. They really got it. Well, one of the girls in that group invited us to come to church with us with her one Sunday. Her name was Shandia. Shandia's black. She goes to a historic, at that point, she went to a historic uh, black church in the middle of downtown Lexington. Well, this is really important for us, so we're committed to going. And the day comes, Sunday morning, Jennifer gives me a call, and, and Jennifer comes down sick. And she feels Horrible. I mean, she just feels horrible because we've told Shandia we're coming. And we know it's a big deal for Shandia. She's invited us. And Jennifer feels awful. And I'm like, I've got to go. I have to go. No matter what reservations I have or the feeling of being alone, got to go. So I show up by myself, walk into the church. There's about 400 people at this church, and there is one white person. It's me. And I sat down, and they, they, started, they started the service. And I'm, I'm here to tell you, there was all kinds of ways where I was uncomfortable, right? All kinds of ways that it put me out of my comfort zone. Preaching in the black church is a lot different than preaching in, in the white church, if you know what I mean. And we shouldn't, I'm not saying we shouldn't have white and black churches. I, I wish our churches were just as multi-ethnic as heaven will be. But we've got demographics and all kinds of history and all kinds of things. But when you go to a church like that, the preaching's a little bit different. And when that preacher started hooping, if you know what I'm talking about, and he started getting his sing-songy voice going, and people started standing up in the pews and hollering back at him and everything, well, I was, as you can imagine, a little bit out of my comfort zone. It was different than I was used to. It was glorifying to God. I agreed with everything that they were saying, but it was different. But let me tell you, those people treated me like royalty. They treated me like royalty when I was there. I didn't feel like the only white person in the room, I felt like an honored guest. And it was beautiful. It was absolutely beautiful. And so the gospel severs racism at the root, or it breaks down, let's use our our analogy that our sermon's about today, it breaks down the dividing wall of racism. But it's not just racism, it's other things too. It's nationalism. The cross reconciles people across national borders. There is an eternal bond that we have with Christians in places like Russia that we do not have with many people here in our own community. An eternal bond because that bond is Jesus Christ. We will be spending eternity with those people. There's even an eternal bond that we have with people we've never met all the way across the world who don't speak our language. An eternal bond that we have with them that we don't have with some people in our own families. Right, the gospel, the cross, just destroys the dividing wall of nationalism. We've got an American flag up here behind me in our sanctuary, right? But I'm here to tell you, we are Christians before we are Americans, and we pledge allegiance to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, before we pledge allegiance to the American flag in the United States of America. Patriotism is actually a good and virtuous thing. There there are a lot of people my age and younger who don't understand this, have misunderstood this. They're overreacting to things, but patriotism is actually a good and virtuous thing. It is, unless it becomes an ultimate thing. And then it, it can become very, very bad. We've got to keep proper things in the proper places. The cross breaks down the dividing wall of class differences, You come into this church, it does not matter if you're dressed like me or very different than me. It does not matter if you have the same amount of money and income as some of the people in this church. It does not matter if you are rich or poor. It does not matter if you have access to all the amenities and comforts that some people do. The cross breaks down that dividing wall. And so all are welcome in the body of Christ. The cross breaks down the dividing wall of political differences. In Christ, there is no slave nor free, no male nor female, no Jew and Gentile, and there is no Republican or Democrat in Christ. We are not a political group. We are not kind of of pushing a political agenda. Now, there are certain things that we will talk about because they're biblical, not because they're political. There are certain things that we'll get into at church because they're in the Bible and never should have been turned into a political issue. One is abortion. Right? That shouldn't be a political issue at all. It is, but it shouldn't be. But we are not Republican and Democrat here. Now we, No matter what those things are, we lay aside our differences as we come in here as the body of Christ. The church of Jesus Christ should be a gospel culture where people come in who are from all kinds of different walks of life and they lay their preferences and their differences on the altar as a sacrifice to the Lord, a pleasing aroma in his sight. We're sacrificing all of those things because we're here to worship with one another. We're here to serve one another. This should be a place where the world looks in and says those people are supposed to hate one another. Those people are supposed to avoid one another. What is going on in there that they would be laying down their preferences and their differences to serve one another? What is going on that that person would be laying down his life for that person? That would never happen in this world. What's going on in there? That's the kind of culture the church of Jesus Christ should be. And so all of this to say, this horizontal reconciliation that Christ gives to Jews and Gentiles extends far beyond just the Jew and Gentile situation to many, many applications today. But notice, let's end with verses 18 and 19. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Now, this would have been amazing for Gentiles to hear, that you have just as much access to God as a Jewish person. This would have been amazing for Gentiles to hear. It was only Jews who could be members of the household of God before Christ. And in the first century, Gentiles came into the church, and they're thinking, am I welcome here? Or am I an outsider? I feel like an outsider. Am I welcome here? I grew up in church. I don't know where where you're coming from, many of you, but I grew up in church. Church is like home for me. You might call me a native, right? This is where I feel comfortable. I've always been in church. But I have no greater access to God than the person who has walked in sin all their life and has just recently come to Christ as an adult. I am no more a saint, no more forgiven No more saved than anyone else. The ground is level at the cross. The ground is level at the cross. The blood of Jesus Christ is for everyone. If you've been saved, you've been saved by grace. No one has more of a right to the blood of Christ than anyone else. Everyone must have their sins washed away by the blood of Christ. The Pharisees in the New Testament were the model Jews. And they weren't only Jewish, they were super Jewish. Better than all the other Jews. But Jesus told them that tax collectors and prostitutes were closer to the kingdom of God than they were. In a church, there are insiders and outsiders. There are. And I I don't mean there are cliques. And I don't mean there are ways that that we are unwelcoming. That stuff might happen, but shouldn't happen. But I'm talking about biblically. In a church, there are insiders and outsiders. It's biblical. Paul uses this language in 1 Corinthians 14. But the insiders, according to the Bible, are not those who have grown up in church. The insiders are not those who know the lingo or those who feel comfortable Or those who wear the right clothes and say the right things. No, the insiders, according to scripture, are those who have been born again. And have had their sins washed away by the blood of Jesus. And the outsiders are simply those who have yet to do so. There are insiders and outsiders. The Bible does divide humanity into two groups. But those two groups are those who have been born again in Christ and those who have not. Those who have come to God through his son, Jesus Christ, and those who remain on the outside. Those who are in Christ and those who are apart from Christ. But the good news of the gospel is anyone can get in on this. Anyone can get in on this. You don't have to be of a certain ethnicity You don't have to be of a certain socioeconomic status. You don't have to wear certain things. You don't have to have a life that's that's all together. You don't have to have some kind of level of respectability in the community. Anyone can get in on this. Everyone is invited. Everyone is welcome to become one of those who are in Christ. So this is as good a place as any for us to stop and go to the Lord in prayer. Each week here at Columbia Christian, we spend just a few moments after the sermon in silent prayer. And we ask during this time that you go to God and respond to him. Respond to whatever he has laid on your heart. It might be very different than what he's laid on my heart. Go to God in prayer and respond to him during this time. Reckon with what he is doing inside of your mind and inside of your heart right now. Face up to him as he is confronting you with his word after we have this time of personal prayer and reflection and personal response we'll come back we'll have an invitation time where those who need to respond to God's word publicly can do so then let's pray